This is Pod Populi, podcast for the people. Hi, my name is Dr. Sarah Adams. I am a board-certified pediatrician, but I'm not your pediatrician. Feel free to use my podcast as helpful information, but in no way do I intend my podcast to replace the advice of your physician. Your physician knows you and is in the best position to provide medical advice. Hello, and welcome to Growing Up with Dr. Sarah. So a lot of times when I'm trying to decide what to talk about in a podcast, I usually go by a lot of the questions that I get asked in my practice. And most recently, I heard from a mom who is getting really frustrated with her four-year-old because all of a sudden, where she was sleeping really well through the night, she started waking up. And she was concerned that it could be a night terror, which we'll talk a little bit about later. But when I actually asked her the questions and delved in to make sure it wasn't anything serious or medical, I realized that basically what she was having was temper tantrums in the middle of the night. And so that made me think of something we call parasomnias, which simply is things that happen in the middle of the night. I always, I like to use the phrase things that go bump in the night. So in order to provide all of you the best information, I have invited back Beth and Bridget from Little Snoozers, um, www.littlesnoozers.com, who have helped many of my patients and who I refer a lot to as sleep specialists. So welcome, and thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be back. So what is the one reason in your mind that you get questions about why kids wake up in the night? And I hope we can kind of talk about all different ages. So I'm just going to go ahead and let you guys roll with it. Um, I would say for me... I get the most um, people asking about, we went on vacation, we had a great time. My kids slept great. Around the last night or two that we were there, they started waking up in the middle of the night and now that we're home, they're still doing it. Um, so I would say a kid's sleeping great and then all of a sudden there's a hiccup with night wakings or even early risings is my biggest um, you know, what people come to me the most with, especially clients that I've already worked with who are then, you know, their kid was sleeping amazing and, you know, it was life changing. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh no, what's happening? <laughs> I get that question a lot too. I, and and not only just about regression from a vacation, but there's also times in babies and toddlers life where they go through that kind of sleep regression. Yeah. We see it even after an illness, you know, travel, um, right. Babies teething, um, could just be a random night where a kid woke up and had a nightmare. And then it all depends on how mom and dad respond, you know, do they nip it in the butt or do they, you know, give in and, you know, kid wakes up and is asking for a cup of milk. Do they go in and do that? So that's where we kind of see things start getting off track because it's easy to create new habits right exactly especially so when, when you think it's just like for one night 
Like, oh, well, just, oh, I'll just do this tonight. If I just, I'll give them the warm milk tonight. I'll let them sleep in my bed tonight. And guess what? It's going to happen <laughs> tomorrow night too. So I know I had a friend and I might've mentioned this in our last podcast, but I use it a lot. And that is even when I'm asking questions, I, I do, I ask like, so what did you do? And mm-hmm. not because I'm judging them or anything. And I hope everyone out there realizes it. It's just that what how parents respond is exactly what you need to know in order to make it better. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I could give advice to that kid that was sick or the kid that was traveling, um, Bridget and I always say, number one, put them to bed like 15 to 30 minutes earlier that for a night, few nights to kind of get them back on track. And then number two, as soon as they're better, as soon as you're back from a trip, get right back to your sleep, you know, good sleep habits, early bedtime, you know, if they wake up in the middle of the night, just saying go back to sleep and, you know, getting them back to sleep without putting them in your bed, without, you know, doing any of those things. So a lot of it is how quickly parents are willing to rebound and just get their kid right back on track after travel, illness, or an occasional wake up. Absolutely. And how many days would you say, and I know it varies with the child and the age, right? But how many days would you say it typically takes for them to get back on track? Because, you know, it's so easy as parents, I know it's like, oh, that didn't work. You know, (laughs) you know, how many days do I have to endure this until I know that it's, it is going to work, which it it will, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say two to three to two to three. Um, sometimes you get lucky and it's one night, but, um, sometimes, you know, it takes two to three to get them back on track to see the consistency. Um, you know, the early bedtime, the point of that is because you're filling some sleep debt that was acquired on vacation. Um, and so catching them up, even just that 15 or 30 minutes earlier, will get them caught up and back on track. So typically two to three nights and, you know, you're back to where you were before. And that's of total consistency. So, you know, just really not bending and, oh, I'll just read you one more story. Or, okay, I'll, you know, rub your back to you, fall asleep. It just going right back to the independent sleeping. Um, and that's when we see behaviors stop when they're not rewarded anymore. So it really takes just a few days. Um, I'll give a personal example of my daughter, Charlie, who one night had the stomach bug. I had to stay up with her in the middle of the night for weeks after she was waking up in the middle of the night. And the first night that I just stopped going in at all, she stopped waking up. So it's hard, but you have, you just have to get back to where you were before. And then they, they lose their motivation or they don't wake up at all because they know the behavior isn't going to be rewarded. So just get right back on track, ignore that behavior if you have to, and, and they'll start sleeping again. What do you tell families when the child or baby is waking up? I I get questions in my office that, well, dad's got to go back to work or mom's got to go back to work or we're afraid they're going to wake up sister or brother. I'm interested to hear what advice you give families when they ask that question. In terms of that, like they're waking somebody else with. Right, right. I I get that a lot. I would imagine you would too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I always suggest a sound machine. Um And I've even suggested putting them in the hallway. People would be surprised how 
you know, you think that sleep training one child or a child waking up in the middle of the night crying will wake up the whole house, but typically they don't. Typically the other children will sleep right through it. Um, you can always bump up their sound machine for a couple of days, um, but it's looking at it in terms of short-term, just think of the sleep you're going to get. Even like if someone's going back to work, you need the sleep, but it, a couple of nights might be hard. And then, you know, everyone will be getting the sleep they need. Yeah. I always say it's just worth that. Even if the, if another kid woke up, it's worth that for a night or two, then letting the behavior go on for months and months and months because you were scared to try it. And I'll even suggest if you have a family or a grandparent that wouldn't mind taking the older child for, for a few nights, you can even do that if you're really worried. But I would say most of the time, I agree with Bridget that the the other siblings don't even wake up from the the one that's being slept during. I, I find that it's the primary caretaker, whether whoever it is that is taking care of the child has that, you know, here's everything. But you're right. Really, I think about even my husband when my kids were little, that he wouldn't even wake up when he hears right. them crying. And we're right next to each other. And that is so true. And it's so, you know, it's just like anybody in their family. We we, we know that we've got a lot of others to think about. And sometimes what I'll tell them too is if you're really concerned, have a family meeting and say, this is what's going to happen over the next two, three days. And this is why it's important because you're right. You just, you know, two or three days of, you know, some difficulty of hearing, you know, hearing them. And even if the other kids do wake up is so much better than weeks and months and everybody will sleep better. So and I love the idea, too, of, you know, if there's a possibility to have someone else care for them. And now a sound machine has become my, like, go-to present for mm-hmm. anybody, like, baby showers, because yeah. I just, in, in the literature that I'm reading, over and over, it's like, you know, blackout blinds and sound machine are two yeah, of the most important definitely. things. Yeah. Right. When we're thinking of why kids wake up, we always want to rule out, are they getting light in from their room? You know, so blackout curtains, even if you have to use black garbage bags, just, you know, get all that light out and turn on that sound machine. So it's not, you know, noise or light that's causing a wake up. What are some other questions that you get about in the middle of the night waking. I would imagine we like I mentioned before, we have to take age and development into consideration. So when do you even think, well I asked about questions and now I'm going to ask a question. When do you think it's appropriate what's the age range in that newborn infancy time period where parents can start to expect them to fall, you know, sleep longer periods of time? Yeah. Well, we don't really do any sleep training until at least four to four and a half months. So if your baby's waking up, you know, that would be a time that you can intervene. If you have a newborn, you know, you're, you're going to rock them back to sleep or um, feed them or do what you need to do. Um, And even with the babies, you can still incorporate a night feed. So we still do sleep training, 
but we'll allow parents to get up and, you know, do a feeding once or twice a night based on age. So that's a good question. It's not always from night one, you know, putting them to bed at seven, I'll see you at seven in the morning. So the first few months would be the time that you can intervene and, um, you know, do a feed at night or rock them to sleep if they're newborn or, Correct. yeah, I always say the first four months, you kind of get what you get. So you <laughs> kind of, you know, I know a lot Can't of times, too much. yeah, when I see parents, like, let's say at their one month visit, uh, and they're like, oh, yeah, they're already sleeping through the night. And again, my job is to make sure, OK, are they gaining weight? You know, do they look OK? <laughs> because sometimes right. I worry a little bit. But um, I always tell them when I've ruled out everything else and they're just literally have a newborn that sleeps through the night. I'm like, don't tell too many people about that. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's I and don't get used to it because it could change, you know. <laughs> right. We talked about sleep regression and four months as from what I recall is about the, uh, is one of the most common times that they can sleep regress as well as like around nine months of age. So I always prepare for that question whenever they come into the office during those two time periods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But again, it comes down to how you respond to that, that sleep regression. So what do you, what do you typically tell now we're talking about a newborn or or not a newborn, an infant. Um, What do you usually suggest to the, to parents to help their baby even self soothe or even I, I like to tell them, look, you've got to figure out their cues. So, you know, they're fed, you know, they're dry, you know, the temperature's not too hot or too cold in the room, et cetera. So you've set up the perfect environment, you're doing the bedtime routine, and then they're still waking. So what what options, how do you help parents teach their baby to kind of self-soothe and know how to put themselves back to sleep? I think one important thing is that parents, especially first-time parents, they hear their baby squeak and they're like, I need to go get them. But they're not crying. They're not, they're just talking they're squeaking, they're complaining, but it's not always a cry and you don't need to jump and react right away. Um, I think one nice thing that they can do if their baby is crying and in, you know, the bassinet or crib is to put a hand on the baby's belly and offer shushing. Mm-hmm. Um, that goes a long way, especially because they're feeling the comfort. They're hearing your voice. You're still there um, and you're offering some comfort. So that's something I always recommend to families when they're, especially if the child was sleeping really well, hit the four month sleep regression and might not be sleeping as well as they once were to offer some support and comfort that way, rather than picking them up immediately, feeding them, um, you know, responding with things that could get a lot more, um, you know, start a cycle then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What about, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Um, You know, I get a lot of question about night terrors, nightmares. Mm -hmm. How, I'd love to hear how you explain to families what the difference is. And really when, and we could talk, I could talk more about when to worry, but I guess, which is most of the time, usually don't have to worry, which I'll just throw that out there. Um, Yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts about it and kind of what you do to help families, again, not create new habits because of something that is natural Mm -hmm. for um, babies and toddlers to actually do. 
That's a good question. So with night tears, they aren't fully awake. They're not going to remember it in the morning. So that's a time to actually not intervene. Um, it's usually they, you, they might sit up and start screaming with the night terrors. So you might go in the room and kind of watch from afar that they're okay and they're safe. Uh, but that's not a time to wake them up, you know, or intervene. Now with a nightmare, they most likely will remember that in the morning. And that would be a time to go in and offer a little bit of comfort. Uh, again, not okay, you can come in my bed because you had a nightmare. I just, you're yeah. okay. You're safe. We love you kiss and back to bed. Um, and one technique that I like using for the nightmares, a lot of times kids will have worries, specific worries before bed. So we do positive flooding. So before bed, uh, we'll just flood their thoughts with anything that might be comforting to them. Um, unicorns, it could be cotton candy, whatever makes them feel good and comfy and cozy. And a lot of times they kind of retrain their brain and go to bed with those positive thoughts. And that really helps nightmares. And again, just putting them to bed a little bit earlier. A lot of times night terrors occur when kids are overtired or they got off schedule. So put them to bed a little bit earlier. And a lot of times you'll see those night terrors um, go away. Yeah. And, and usually, too, what I try to explain is that other than, you know, are they fully awake or not awake, the timing can be different, too. So a night terror tends to occur early in the evening yeah, or right. early in their bedtime, their sleep, mm -hmm. um, whereas a nightmare tends to occur like early in the morning or right. after they've been asleep for a while. And that's that REM sleep. <laughs> and uh, I love the flooding idea. That's a great idea. I, I feel like every child could use that. And even if they sleep through the night, just even adults, don't think about your worries before bed. Think about the beach, just, you know, kind of clear your mind, go to bed, you know, with those thoughts that I love that. Cause I, a lot of times will tell them to create like a worry box, you know, just take a shoe mm -hmm. box and have, sit down and write down the worries and put them in the box. But then if you really think about it in that with that, you're still thinking about it. So it's hard, I think, for some age age groups to be able. I mean, it's known that even with teenagers, I'll say journal, because sometimes when you brain dump and get it out of your head, it can help. But at the same time, I, I, I think now I'm going to switch gears and tell them, think about journal good things. Your happy thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that you're going to bed with those with those thoughts instead. And, you know, I'll get questions about sleepwalking and things like that. And the good news is most of the time, night tears, sleepwalking, you know, the most important thing there is safety. Um, and also the nightmares are typically very temporary. And so mm -hmm. I when they leave, you know, questions or call us, if it's something that's recurring over and over and over again, or if I am seeing other signs and symptoms that are concerning, I'll, I'll have them come in. But the good news is these things typically are very temporary, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. What are some other questions you get about middle of the night? A lot of times it's with the toddlers or the older ones that, like you said, are more of the tantrums in the middle of the night. Um, so kind of how you mentioned with the family meeting, don't wait for the middle of the night to, you know, get into, well, this is what we're, the plan is. And, you know, no one's thinking clearly at 2 a.m. So 
try to be proactive by preventing those middle of the night tantrums by having a family meeting and saying, these are the expectations. If you wake up tonight, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk you back to your bed silently and I'm going to leave again. And sometimes kids will tantrum and try, you know, getting out of their bed 50 times and you have to silently without a reaction, walk them back. But if you do that, then the next night, you know, they're going to be a little less motivated to get up and try the same thing. So in the middle of the night, be really calm and go over your plan before bedtime, you know, even don't wait till bedtime to go over the plan, do it at dinner, have that family meeting and talk about here's what's going to happen. Here's the consequence if you, you know, if you're up in tantruming at night. So a lot of times with the older kids, yeah, it's more of the behavioral reasons that we see that they're getting up. And I also love um, for that age for that time, um, you know, older and can understand more, they're in their own bed making a sleep chart. And so it doesn't have to be anything fancy. You know, you put the child's name, you put however many nights you want to put and, um, you know, kind of reinforcing positive behavior so they can get a sticker if they stay in their bed all night, you know, you put the chart at eye level right outside the room or on their door where they can see it. It's in their face. Um, picking out a fun sticker is always fun. And then, you know, when they fill up the whole week or, you know, five days, 10 days of sleeping in a row, um, you know, staying in their bed, you can go to the park or you can do something fun, um, you know, with them to celebrate. And after they get through about five to 10 days, they should be in the routine of it where you're not having to, you know, um, continue, continue. With right, right. They just start sleeping again on their own. Yeah. And it's such a wonderful thing. I, my sister always said we should be born old so that by the time we're, we're toddlers, you know, we appreciate that somebody is, you know, bathing us and reading and putting us to bed, but it's to go to bed early. Yeah. It's developmental. And, and I think as parents, we need to realize that there's nothing wrong with your child. This is normal and don't be afraid to do what you need to do, because as you said, most commonly it has to do with being overtired. Right. right. I I had a question recently. Um, wait, let me backtrack. I'm gonna have her cut that. Out. <laughs> Suddenly, I got some phlegm in the back of my throat. Okay. So I had a question recently from Forbes. I'm helping them write a sleep article. And the questions fascinate me. And one was about wake windows. And I've been a pediatrician for 26 years. And I have to be honest, I, I mean, I know the concept is not new, but that term wake windows came up and what are they and, and so on. And so of course, I thought, well, if I'm supposed to be the expert in this, I better investigate what that actually is. And what I learned is it's learning how long your child can be awake during the day before they get to that overtired. Does that, does that sound about right? But I think, and I think a lot of times when people use that term, they're using it like for pre-nap, but we have to also think about the wait, the wake window prior to bed as well. Um, how, 
tell me what your thoughts are about wake windows and and how they change over the course of of their age. They're a good guide, but we don't really use specifically wake windows because it can number one, it can be different for every child. And if you only go by wake windows, especially for kids that are on two naps a day, every day they're napping at different times. And I just think it's stressful for parents because they're calculating, you know, two hours and 2.75 hours. So we go more by set, you know, nap times. You, I mean, it's a good concept, you know, when, it, when you see your child's becoming tired, put them to bed before they get overtired. So you'll kind of get a gauge of when, you know, especially with bedtime, when to do bedtime. And a lot of it depends, especially with the toddlers, are they napping anymore? If, if they are, then they'll probably be able to stay up a little bit later. If they're not napping, they're going to need a really early bedtime, you know, six thirty, seven. they're going to be ready for bed. So it's a, it's the concept of it is makes sense. Just no, you know, just kind of look for those sleepy, sleepy signs and make sure you're putting them to bed before they're getting overtired and don't worry too, too much about doing math all day and keeping a log of 2.5 or what, you know, whatever. And, and everyone gives you a different window based on what site you look at. So that, that is true. Like, so now I don't feel so bad being a pediatrician and, not, and not really knowing too much of, go. about right. it. <laughs> and I would agree. I, I hate to say it when I was looking it up. So I'm really refreshed by your comments. It, it, my first thought was, man, this just gives parents another thing to worry about because yeah. children just, they, I always say they, they didn't read the book, you know, they didn't read the article or, you know, they didn't see the charts, which I will tell you, there are many charts right. out there about wake windows right. because when I went to investigate this, I, I saw several of them. And, and so don't, I, I love your approach that it really is individual and based on, on the child. And I think really the most important thing is learning when your child is tired versus overtired. Right. 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 You want to put them to bed sleepy, but you don't want to wait till that point where one, they're very hyper and they've kind of passed that time, you know, where they really should have gone to bed. And a lot of times we see that, you know, parents will say, well, they seem really hyper at nine o'clock. Well, yeah, they they're mm -hmm. probably on their second win by now, you know, and you don't want to put them to bed when they're not tired at all. So, right. You kind of have to find that sweet spot of what works for them. But, you know, that too late a bedtime definitely also does contribute to the middle of the night waking. So you want to make sure that they're going to bed, you know, on time, or you will likely start seeing middle of the night wakings if they're going to bed way too late. Yeah. Bridget, any thoughts on that? Or do you just concur with, with uh, Beth? Yeah, I agree with Beth for sure. Um, and I think it's, it's just one more thing for people to stress out about, to get an app to track even more and put all their attention onto that and instead of like positive things. And, you know, I think it really does cause stress for parents when you're looking at every single minute and assessing it and comparing it to the day before, um, you know, where you can just, here's the nap times, put them down. Here's how long we'll get their naps and here's bedtime. Um, I think that's a lot more helpful. <laughs> Absolutely. And it, and a lot of it comes down to the routine and having a routine. I know here in Ohio and imagine all over the U.S. and, and the, globally, too, you know, with different time zones, it becomes challenging. And just because 
the sun's not going to set until 930 doesn't necessarily mean that you have to move that time because we really have to go by by their cues and by their routine because changing that can can definitely make a difference and you'll start to see more night wakings. Yeah. Which Don't is- wait till the sun sets, especially in the summer, because, you know, parents will tell me that, you know, well, the sun, they look outside and it's bright, but in the summer, it doesn't get dark till 930 or 10. That's not a reason to keep them up. So I say, I always say, well, just put their curtains down, those blackout shades and, you know, turn off the lights. So, yeah, that's a really good point. Don't, especially in the summer, you can't really go by the light. And then getting back to the second wind, all I could think about was uh, we're like that. Adults are like that. If, right. if we stay p- up past that time, I know I am. Like my mm-hmm. husband is so good. He's tired. He like goes to bed, falls asleep. <laughs> and, you know, I'll I'll have two or three more things to do. But then if I would have just listened to my own cues, I I would probably have a better night's sleep as well. Yeah. Any other thoughts or comments before we wrap things up? I know we could talk all day about this, but I know I really want people to understand that it's normal for kids to regress if, if for whatever reason, whether it's, um, you know, just their development or a trip, like you said, or being sick to just even having other reasons to wake up in the middle of the night. That is probably the most question I get all the time. And so if, if there's any other words of wisdom, I'd love to hear it. I mean, I always just tell people if your child's really sick, you know, high fever, vomiting, yeah, it's okay to, you know, we're not saying never intervene, but kind of know when to intervene, when not to, and most importantly, get them right back on track after an illness or travel. That would be my biggest advice for the middle of the night wakings and when to intervene and when not to. Yeah, I would agree. I would say just get back into your normal routine and schedule, show them that you're being consistent so they can um, thrive on that and get back on track. And you're never, ever going to regret an early bedtime. You're never going to regret putting your kid to bed 15 to 30 minutes earlier for a night or two to get them on track. Um, You know, it's not going to screw anything up. It will always help you. That's my biggest advice. I think that's great advice. Thank you. And don't be afraid to contact, you know, your pediatrician or sleep specialist like yourself. And remember, you're not alone in this, but every child and baby is different. And so it is hard. We're not expecting you to conform like we talked about with the wake windows, etc. But we do want what's best for your family overall. Let me ask you one more question, and this is really about referral. So if if I see a family and I really think they would benefit from talking to you guys as sleep specialists, just for a minute or two, walk me through what that consultation is like. Is it like one fee? Is it, do they, do they get to kind of talk to you a little bit? Um, yeah, just tell me what they can expect so that I can tell them what to expect if they choose to, to go down that road. Well, we, we always start with a free 15 minute phone call. So we want to make sure it's a good fit 
you know? Um, so we always start with that phone call. We kind of go over what's going on. We tell them what we're thinking. So they always have that. So they kind of know what they're getting into and what, you know, we're thinking. And if we decide from there that it's a good, um, you know, it's a good fit to move forward. Then we go over the different packages and it, it kind of, we do a one week support or a two week, and it kind of depends on the age of the child and you know, what's going on. Um, if it's an older child, um, a lot of times it does take two weeks. So we'll recommend the two week package. And then the support starts the day that they start the sleep plan and they get um, email support every day and they get two phone calls a week. So they're getting a lot of good individual attention. And, you know, like you're saying, it's not like reading a book or a blog or every kid is different, you know, so we're there to kind of tailor every family's needs and, you know, goals and give them some custom support. And can I just add one thing? So with those two packages, um, there's an intake form, all kinds of questions on there. What are your parenting style? What are your goals? Um, does everyone agree? What does your current schedule look like? Just all kinds of questions on there so that we can get to know your child and your family. Um, and then we have a one hour consultation. So we'll talk about safe sleep. We'll talk about sleep schedule, um, sleep environment. And at the end, we talk methods because really that's the least, you know, it's, there's so many things that go into sleep and it's not just about crying or, you know, the actual training. And then we um, send you a sleep plan, which is everything we talked about just in paper form. Uh, and then we offer the support throughout. So it's basically like a, you're hiring us as a book that talks to you and supports you <laughs> um, and will help you get, get your child sleeping. Well, I want to thank you both so much for helping me reach my mission with this podcast. And that is that I want to provide parents with information and also resources. Because many times in my office, and I'll go back to the example of the child that woke up with the temper tantrums, I just don't, in a 15-minute visit, I just unfortunately don't have the time to be able to go through what we've talked about for the last 30 minutes, but I I'm passionate in helping families. So thank you for joining me today. And I, I really, I highly recommend if you are struggling with your infant or toddler or child that working with sleep specialists, I have found with my patients has I mean, I've, it's been a hundred percent success for all those yeah. that have come back and supposedly like reported to me how they're doing. So thank you for the work that you're doing and thank you for joining Welcome. me today. <laughs> and you're having us. Yes. Have a wonderful day. And, uh, I hope every night is a good night's sleep for everyone. And thank you for growing up with Dr. Sarah. Don't forget to listen on wherever you like to listen to your shows like Spotify or Apple Podcast, and let's grow up together.